If you can, please stand for the reading of the scripture. It's Matthew 19, 16 through 30. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. Why do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter assured him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, and you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, including the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The word of the Lord you may be seated. We'd like to welcome Pastor Dan back again with us. He is married to Jeanette. They have two sons. He and Jeanette are living in Dover after he retired following more than nine years of pastoring at Beach Mennonite, just south of Alliance. We welcome Pastor Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. It's good to be back. Greetings from my wife in Dover, Ohio. A number of things I really appreciated already about this service. Um, I certainly enjoyed the songs and singing out of the new hymnal that we don't have in our church, especially the kids' song. That was a real uh, highlight. You saw me filming it. Um, the other thing, I'm curious about uh, when you began the tradition of standing for Scripture. I don't remember. Of course, memory is not so good at 72 anymore, but I don't remember um, you standing for Scripture before. Was that Pastor Matt's idea? Because I've seldom seen that done in churches. I've seldom seen that done in churches except Hispanic churches. 
very, very consistently, Hispanic churches say, Pongámonos de pie para mejor reverencia a la palabra de Dios. Let us stand for a greater reverence to the word of God. So I applaud you for that. A short, <clears throat> excuse me, a short story written back in 1886 by Russian author Leo Tolstoy sets the stage for today's message. A peasant named Pehom was unhappy with his life of poverty and was always dreaming about owning a large piece of land. He hears about a group of people called the Bashkirs who have an amazing offer. For just 1,000 rubles, that would be about $500 US, a person can own as much land as he or she can walk around in one day's time. <clears throat> Starting at daybreak, Paham hurries along, marking his route with a shovel. To his right, he sees a large gro grove of fruit trees, so he encompasses it. And then he sees down below him a large valley that looks very inviting. So he circles that as well. And then he takes no break for lunch, of course. He sees more enticing property in the afternoon, and he encircles that as well with his shovel. And suddenly, he is aware of the approach of sundown, and he thinks he may not make it back to the starting point in time. Running at full speed, he crosses the finish line just as the sun sets. The Bashkirs standing there around him cheer his good fortune, but exhausted from the run, Peham drops dead. His family buries him in an ordinary grave six feet long. Today's story from Matthew that was read to us just now is found also in Mark and Luke. All three accounts are very similar. Putting them together, we get this scenario, just to review. A young unnamed man, a respected leader in the Jewish community, is also very wealthy, comes to Jesus with a question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's the most important question a person can ask, right? Jesus' um, Jesus' answer is, is very straightforward. If you want eternal life, keep the commandments. His question in return is an interesting one. Interesting one. Which ones? As if some are optional and some are not. Jesus names five of the ten. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother. Whew, the man breathes a sigh of relief as he mentally checks off those five. So far, so good. But what about the five missing ones that Jesus did not mention? You shall have no other gods before me. Whoops. You shall not make any idol to worship, whoops, no swearing of God's name, honor the Sabbath day, and lastly, you shall not covet what your neighbor has. Are they optional, those five? Jesus answers that question indirectly with his next response. Okay, sir, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and then come follow me. 
It's an unexpected bombshell for this rich young man. Jesus has seen right through his on-the-surface good person image to expose the deepest parts of his heart. His wealth has become an idol that he worships instead of worshiping God. And in spite of all his possessions, he covets what he sees his neighbors have that he doesn't. His reaction, sadly, is swift. No question about what remains first in his set of priorities. He turns and walks away with his head down, not willing to part with his possessions. And it's the perfect opportunity for Jesus to teach. He says to his disciples, let me tell you, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he makes that camel and the eye of a needle analogy, the disciples, they figure it's impossible. No, not impossible, says Jesus, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just very, very difficult. <clears throat> I grew up in a rather poor family on the eastern shore of Maryland. There were nine of us children to feed and clothe. I was somewhere in the middle there. Our dad was bivocational, that is, a carpenter by trade and a Mennonite pastor in his so-called spare time. As in many cases in small churches in the 1950s and 60s, the church did not provide income for their pastor. <clears throat> but during those childhood years, I didn't realize we were poor. We always had plenty to eat on the table from our large garden and seafood from the bay, Maryland crabs, etc. That began to change when I went to Lancaster Mennonite High School in Pennsylvania as a boarding student in the 11th grade. There I became aware of a much higher lifestyle among some of the Mennonites in Lancaster County. Fast forward now to, <clears throat> excuse me, fast forward now to the late 1970s as a young married man when I was challenged to take another look at wealth and poverty. Jeanette and I read this book, some of you might know, by Ron Sider, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Still very pertinent, even though it was writ written in the 70s. We learned in reading this book that we weren't poor, that in spite of my low income as a Christian, as a Christian school teacher in inner city Miami and living in a 700 or so square foot house, we were still in the top 5% or less of the wealth bracket when it comes to the rest of the world. You hear what I'm saying? Insights from that book continue to challenge me to this day. At one point, <clears throat> the author, Ron Sider, quotes the Brazilian priest, Dom Helder Camera, and I have this quote on my computer desk where I see it, along, along with others. <clears throat> he writes, <clears throat> I used to think when I was a child that Christ might have been exaggerating when he warned about the dangers of wealth. Today, I know better. I know how very hard it is to be rich and still keep the milk of human kindness 
Money has a dangerous way of putting scales on one's eyes, a dangerous way of freezing people's hands and eyes and lips and hearts. We may not know many people who have literally taken Jesus' words to the rich young man seriously and have sold all their possessions and given to the poor, but one knows the name, a few. <clears throat> From humble beginnings in Alabama, Millard rose to become a self-made millionaire by the age of 29, but at a cost to his health, his integrity, his marriage, and his family. He came to a crisis point, but instead of, walk, instead of walking away from Jesus like the rich young ruler, he sold all his possessions and joined a Christian intentional community called Koinonia Farm. Along with the founder, Clarence Jordan, the Fullers began building low-income houses on a nonprofit, no-interest basis, and that work has now become Habitat for Humanity, blessing millions around the world with affordable housing. Rachel Jackson is another inspiring example of someone who rejected materialism in response to Jesus' call to serve others. She tells her story in the book, The House That Love Built. At a single, as a single 24-year-old, her comfortable middle-class life came tumbling down by an encounter with a young father at a detention facility just across the border in Mexico. Separated from his American wife and two sons, he had little chance of returning to the USA. Deeply moved by, uh, with compassion for this young father, she began, taking other, she began taking into her tiny, crowded apartment families coming to Denver to visit their loved ones in detention center, in a large detention center there. Eight years later, she has a larger, a larger house than her little apartment. It's called Casa de Paz, House of Peace. And she has welcomed over 3,000 guests from 73 countries. More than 2,000 volunteers have served there. <clears throat> Few, if any of us, will become as well known as Millard Fuller or Rachel Jackson, but we still need to ask the question, how much is enough in order to avoid succumbing to the temptations of materialism that can draw us away from God as our first love. We don't want to be like the rich young ruler. So I suggest to you four practices that can help us. I should have put them on a PowerPoint screen because visually we remember things better. Nonetheless, I guess you could jot them down. Um, four practices to help us in this, in this difficult journey. Gratitude, contentment, simplicity, and generosity. And they build on each other, as you will see. Let's begin with gratitude. Just three verses I'll quote from the Bible among many verses that instruct us to, to be grateful. Colossians 3.15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts <clears throat> and always be thankful. 
Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. At mealtime, thank God for the food on your table. At bedtime, thank God for his presence with you throughout the day. Returning from a road trip like Jeanette and I did this past week, thank God for safe travels, and on and on. Gratitude is usually followed by contentment. The more we we remember to thank God for taking care of our needs, the more natural it is to be content with what we have. Human nature as it is, contentment doesn't always come easy. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that contentment was something that he needed to learn. You might remember when he writes in Philippians 4, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Our third word then, contentment, typically leads to simplicity. When we are content with the basics of life, we don't have to keep striving for bigger, better, faster Our lives are simpler, less hectic, as we pay less attention to all the hype in the media about buying this or buying that in order to keep up with the neighbors. And finally, a simple lifestyle then leads to generosity. When our basic needs are met, we can share freely from our abundance. Simple living, the last two words I've mentioned that we've covered briefly, um, um, simple living and generosity were both key elements of Jacob Shank's life, one of my heroes. In the 1940s and 50s, as his small chick hatchery continued to grow and grow in Harrisonburg, Virginia, he continued to live in the same modest three-bedroom house, I believe it was, and to drive used cars. He gave more and more to missions and Christian education until he was living on 10% and donating the rest. Try that sometime. The IRS came to his house knocking on his door to investigate his books, never seeing anything like this and left shaking their heads in amazement. It was all right and clear. God blesses our generosity when others give back to us, right? That's what Paul explained to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8. He writes, give according to what you have, what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves, I only mean that there should be some equality. He continues, right now you have plenty and can help those in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you you have need. 
In this way, things will be equal. As some of you know, Jeanette and I are blessed in our retirement years, now going into the seventh year, to be given ministry among many Guatemalan families in Dover, New Philly. New Philly. I'll regress here to say that Jeanette and I were privileged the first two weeks of June to travel with six others who work with Guatemalans to, to, to the country of Guatemala, to the very area where most of our people come from. That was a very exciting trip. Uh, back to Dover now. Um, my wife and I share a lot of garden produce and honey. Somebody mentioned bees, seeing bees. A little fella here mentioned bees. And some of you might remember my lesson on beekeeping one time. No, anyway, so we share garden produce and honey with our Guatemalan friends. We've taken them used furniture that others have donated and many other things. But in all our giving, we try to, to minimize the one-way giver-receiver relationship and try to, and, and you know how I do that? I do that by quoting Paul's um, writing here. I often say something like, um, well, you know, we don't know the future. We have plenty right now to share. Someday we may need something, I say to them, something that you have and then you can share with us. Call this a coincidence or not, but this past Tuesday mid-morning, I was at my computer working on this very section of generosity, typing those words from Paul about mutual sharing that I just read, and the phone rang. Hello, hola, como esta? It was our good friend Sonia, a close friend and a mother of two beautiful young girls. And she asked, ¿Está usted en casa ahora? Are you at home now? Yes, I'm at home now. Uh, ¿A qué hora come? What time do you eat? And I said, oh, about 12 o'clock, about noon. She said, I'm going to bring you some food at 12.30. She showed up at 12.30 with a delicious, huge platter. I have a picture of it if you want to see it. A huge platter of tostadas and a couple of fruit cups. It's not the first time, nor will it be the last, when our Guatemalan friends have blessed us generously with delicious food. There's one more book I want to show you before I wrap this up. It's actually the sermon title, How Much is Enough? by Arthur Simon, who is the founder and director of Bread for the World. I would recommend it to, let's say, Sunday school classes, although I did see in the announcements that the adult Sunday school class this fall already has plans, but maybe the winter or spring quarter. How Much is Enough by Arthur Simon. I try to keep in front of me the question, how much is enough? <laughs> the answer is not always clear, nor will it probably be very clear for many of you. And yet that question keeps me grounded. And I leave the question with you as well as you seek to follow Jesus. And may the spirit of Jesus in the coming days remind you of these four words, each one building on the previous one. Gratitude, contentment, simplicity, and generosity. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your presence with us this morning. 
Thank you for the way your, your word with the Holy Spirit's nudging can challenge us to look at our lives in the light of Jesus' call to us, that call which is individual for each of us, and yet at the same time is collective in a body of believers such as Midway. I pray that you would bless each one here as they grapple with this question, how much is enough? And as they indeed become more and more generous to share the abundance and the extra that they have with those around them in need. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.